on the sacrifice and service coming from you, from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you, Cindy. Well, welcome. We sure are glad you're worshiping here with us today. I want to invite you to open up the Word of God to Philippians chapter 2. And while you're doing that, you know, I, I, Dan, Dan had mentioned that that song written in 1983 was an old one, and there were a few folks that chuckled in the crowd, like 83 is old. But then I was thinking there while we were singing it, like, you know, um, 1983 is closer to World War, the end of World War II than it is to today. Um, 83 is a little while ago now. I mean, it's, it's not old, old, but yeah, it's, it's getting there. So I, I, Dan wasn't too far off when he said it was an old song. I thought it would make you all feel old today, so you're welcome for that. <laughs> Starting off on a good note, 2024, here it is. <laughs> the title of today's message is Shining Like Stars. Um, for Christmas, my wife and I were gifted a couple of tickets to go see uh, the Broadway show Hamilton in Chicago. And so uh, on Friday night, we were in Chicago and, and just had a, had a blast together and a great experience. It's been years and years since I've been, been to Chicago, to downtown. And uh, as we were walking back, it was pretty late at night. Um, you know, those of you who live around here, you probably know this. Claire's not necessarily a happening place at 1030 at night. Not a lot going, not a lot going down at 1030 uh, except bedtimes. And, uh, and so uh, it, was just, it was just awesome to see all the life and all, all the things that are happening. And, there, and there's just lights everywhere. And, and we were in the theater district and there's these cool old marquees on most of the theaters from, uh, that, that are, you know, hanging around uh, from when, you know, some of those theaters when they began. And it was just beautiful to see all the lights, and uh, they still had a lot of the Christmas lights up and decorations, and it was just, it was just gorgeous. It was just, uh, it was, it was beautiful to see uh, the, the, the different buildings, the different uh, storefronts and businesses lit up in, in various ways. Even more beautiful than that, though, if you know, if you've been out any, and I mean, we, we live in a rural area, so you, you've seen this, you've been this, but especially if you've been to a wide open area at night on a clear night when you can see the stars, uh, maybe in an open field, or maybe you've been out west in Montana or Wyoming and just had a chance to see the sky go on forever and see the stars stand out in all of their beauty and their radiance, it's, a, it's an amazing sight to behold. As beautiful as the natural lights of a, I mean, the, the unnatural lights of a city are to see uh, the, the, the natural lights that God has hung in the stars and in the, in the moon and, and the, the radiant beauty that they display are, are far more amazing to see. That's why the scripture tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. They're, they're shouting at us the, the splendor and the beauty and the creative might of our God. And in this passage here today, the Apostle Paul tells us as followers of Christ to be like that, to be, be ones who shine like stars. And he's going to explain here in this text 
that, uh, and if you were with us last week, we, we started this section that began in verse 12, and he told the believers to work out their salvation. That is, that is let your faith and what you believe, let it, let it get out there. Don't, we're not just holding it on, but let your, your, your salvation be manifested in good works and the way that you live in this world. And he's going to explain what that means and what that looks like in real life as we walk through this passage. And so if you're taking notes... The first thing that we see here is that we're called to work out our salvation by living as God's blameless children. We're called to work out or or to live out our salvation by living as God's blameless children. He says in verse 15, so that we might be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless. Now that sounds like a tall order. He just uses three words there that, that, if we're honest, probably don't describe us all the time. Blameless, pure, faultless. This is, the, this is one of the great tensions of Scripture, where we're called to live holy lives. Peter, in Peter, we, we hear the words of God. He says, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. That, that's a tall order. Are you serious? Be holy, be separate, be, be pure as God is pure? Are you kidding me? But then on the other end of the spectrum, we have the words of John in the book of 1 John 1.8, where he says, if we say we have no sin... We're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we have this tension in Scripture. We're called to holiness, but we also recognize that that we're a work in progress. We're not going to get it right all the time. That's the tension that you and I face as we follow Jesus Christ. We're called to be separate. We're called to live godly lives, but we also know that we're still sinners. We're still going to give in to the flesh sometimes. Uh, Paul writes about this tension in Romans chapter 7. If, if, you've, if you've read the chapter, you know what I'm talking about. He says, the, things, the good things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I want to stop doing, I still do them. That's the tension that we face as followers of Jesus Christ, living as his children, his sons and daughters, as those who have been remade in his image, yet also knowing that we still battle the flesh. And Paul here says... If you want to live this blameless life, he's not talking about sinless. He's not talking about uh, getting it right 100% of the time. Here's how you do this, though. Here's how you live in a way that is separate from the world around you. To be blameless does not mean that you're sinless. Blameless means that when you do sin, you're quick to repent of it. That you're not letting things stack up so that someone can point to a list of uh, of faults and rebellion and, 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 and activity and behavior that's, that, that is contrary to the message we believe. Every believer still sins. The, the question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to just let it sit, pretend it, it's not there, uh, hide it, cover it up? Or are you going to say, here I am in need of your forgiveness, God? This is why Lamentations celebrates in Lamentations 3 that your mercies are new every single morning. Oh, how we need the mercies of God in a fresh way every single day. Because you start off and you want to pursue him, but you know that there are are things that you did throughout your day that did not honor him. And we need his grace. We need the, the gospel in a fresh way every single day to recognize that I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. That I've blown it, but there's forgiveness that's what it means to be blameless. But he's going to describe this blameless, blamelessness in two specific ways here in their context. In the first way, 
He says to work out your salvation by living as God's blameless children is by not complaining or arguing. Look at the text. He says in verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. And notice the connection in verse 15, so that you may be blameless and pure. So if they obey that in their context, that's going to lead them to that blameless life. Why does he mention grumbling and arguing? I mean, of all the things he could mention, all the sins and all the vices and all the things that we struggle with, because I think, I think we're, we're still circling the problem that, was, that the Philippians were experiencing. Remember we said when we got to chapter 2 that, that one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter, they, they were a great church, and he loved them dearly, and they were, they were a solid church. They weren't a perfect church. One of the issues that's emerged here is they were having a trouble, having trouble getting along. That's what the beginning of chapter 2, he says, um, do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. He didn't just throw that out there just as a general command. He said it because the Philippians were having trouble doing it. It'll come up again in chapter 4. They were fighting. They were bickering back and forth. And he says, listen, if you want to live a blameless life, if you want to be holy, you need to do all things without complaining and without arguing so that you may be pure in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. If that language sounds familiar to you, it's because he's borrowing language right from the book of Deuteronomy. If any, if any of these hearers had a Jewish background and an Old Testament background, they would have immediately thought of the Israelites. As, as the Israelites came out of Egypt, and we studied this, this past uh, last year in, in the book of Exodus, one of their huge issues was the complaining, the whining. Parents, you know what this is like. You know how frustrating this is. Mom, what's for dinner? Oh, not that again. So help me, you're going to eat it and you're going to like it. Like, they, they complained against God. They complained, they complained about what was for dinner. They complained about the manna. They complained about not having the things that they had had in Egypt when they were slaves. They, they had forgotten the goodness of God and they whined and they argued. And, 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 and Deuteronomy says, in Deuteronomy 32, 5, God's people have acted corruptly toward him. This is their defect. They are not his children, but a devious and crooked generation. The same language that Paul uses here. He wanted them to see that the, the, the path that they were heading down was the same path that the Israelites had went down. With grumbling. That's what that word complaining. Um, it, some of your translations may have different um, ways of rendering it, but it's, it's the idea of whispering complaints and talking in secret against someone, making negative comments about others behind their backs. James addresses this in several times in his book, in James 4.11. He says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. And then in James 5, 9, he says, brothers and sisters, don't complain about one another so that you will not be judged. This is the idea of, of speaking critically about others. Rather than if there's a serious, legitimate problem, going to them personally and addressing. It doesn't say don't, don't ever talk about your problems that you have with somebody or offenses. No, no, no. But he's saying don't, don't go and complain about the issues behind other people's backs. It's, it's gossip is what he's getting at here. 
It's this, this critical spirit that doesn't address a problem head on. It's going and circumventing the issues. And we've all been there, right? We've all been tempted to do this. And we've all been on the receiving end of this. Word gets back through the grapevine as it always does. You know what so-and-so is saying about you? These things are devastating to personal relationships, and they're devastating to the body of Christ. And Paul is telling the believers here, don't, don't, don't complain and don't argue. The, the word argue there is, is what you think it means. It's, it's quarreling, it's debating, it's being divisive, it's, it's nitpicking about stuff, getting entrenched in arguments that really don't matter, distracting you from what you've been called to do by God. And notice, I know every parent in here wants me to point this out. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Kids, are you listening? When you get home today and you want to play video games and your parents say, I need you to do the lunch dishes first. Like, ah, oh, come on. Or husbands, when you're rushing to get to the game and your wife's like, could you help me out with this? Ah, oh, come on. We, we, we have this tendency that human heart has a tendency to skew this way. It's not natural, for most of us anyways, to do things that we aren't necessarily excited about doing with great joy and adulation. If it were, Paul wouldn't have to leave us these sorts of commands. We wouldn't have to be told, put others above yourselves. We wouldn't have to be told that. Why do we have to mention it? The Philippians struggled with it, and we struggle with it too. Now, some of you are further along in your sanctification than others of us, and maybe don't wrestle with this as much, and God bless you for that. We're happy for you. Others of us really struggle. Think about it. When you get, when you get triggered, like when you get most angry, for me, it's often because something's interrupting something that I really want to be doing. That's, that's a trigger for me. It may be I want to sleep longer. It, it may be I want to watch something when, it's, when I want to watch it. Or I want to eat when I want to eat. Or whatever it is, something gets in that way and I begin to get angry and complain. Paul wants the believers and he wants us to know that we're called to be people who are content. People who are thankful. People who long to put others in front of ourselves. And when we, when we don't, or when we, we really don't get that right, to be quick to ask for forgiveness. Now, how does this factor into the overall argument of living out our salvation and shining like stars? Well, look at what he says. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, verse 14, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God. So as we live in a way where we're not grumbling and arguing, it leads to a life of blamelessness where our, our, our faults are not being stacked up and we're, we're not trying to ignore them or stuff them or hide them. And he says, in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Do you see what he's getting at? They're, they're arguing and nitpicking and complaining about one another. Did you see what so-and-so wore to church on Sunday? Did you hear how many verses that worship song had? It was so annoying. Whatever it is, whatever it is we complain about. What they were doing was starting to leak out into the outside world. He says, if you do everything without complaining and arguing, you can be faultless 
and without blame in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What was happening? They were starting to bicker, and it what always happens. <laughs> there's, there's that ad, that commercial, I don't know if it's still on, but it, it, it stuck. You know, the, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which is not true. <laughs> um, what, what believers complain about and fight about in the church does not stay in the church. It gets out. I can't tell you how many different times over the years I've, I've heard people in the community talk about this or that issue going on in a particular church. I was getting, <laughs> I was getting my hair cut one time, this quite a few years ago, and, and in the seat next to me there were two people talking about Brown Corners Church. They had no idea who I was, that I was a pastor here. And I was not super thrilled with what I was hearing. It was kind of discouraging. And I thought, man, we have to be careful because, because the, the way that we act among one another, it, it doesn't just stay right there. And the Philippians were having the same struggle. Word was getting out to the world outside them and the world around them of their sin and their struggles. We're going to circle back to that, but... It's so important that we have a spirit of contentment, that we have a spirit of humility. That's why he spent verses 1 through 11 hammering this idea of humility, because that is, that is the, the base layer of all of this. If we are humble and we're quick to repent of pride and we're putting others above ourselves, like Jesus in verses 5 through 11, then we can ha- be on much better footing to not be grumbling and arguing all the time. So the, the, the first way he describes this blamelessness is by not complaining or arguing. And then positively, he says, by holding firmly to the word of life. How can you be blameless in the world? How can you live those holy lives? He says in verse 16, by holding firm to the word of life. There's a lot we could say here. Uh, some of your translations say holding forth the word of life. That, that Greek word can mean that, but it usually means a grasping onto, a tight grasping. Uh, speaking of fighting and arguing, th- th- those of you with kids, or maybe you remember as a kid, I had three younger brothers, so this was a frequent occurrence. You know, fighting over a toy. It could be the dumbest toy, but you just see your sibling with it, and you're just, you, don't, you do not want them to have it. You don't really want it all that much, but you really don't want them to have it. So you're like, give me that. Sometimes you don't even warn them with a gimme that. You just go for it. And we've all been in that tug of war. You're pulling, you're holding on, you're grasping. That's the picture here, but in a positive way, of holding firmly to the word of life. What does he mean by that phrase, word of life? I think, I think in, in, a, in a general, fundamental way, he can mean the, the scriptures, the, the Bible, God's word. But more specifically, He's talking about the gospel message. It's the message, he calls it the word of life because it's the message that tells of life and also imparts the life of which it tells. One of the ways we work out our salvation is by clinging to the life message of the gospel. My brothers and sisters, we can go into Barnes & Noble this afternoon and you can find rows and rows of books in the self-help section. And some of those books will be immensely helpful in a lot of ways. There'll be books about how to, how to better your health, how to eat better, and to get yourself into better shape. 
There'll be books about how to manage your finances or how to learn to be on time and manage your schedule better. There'll be a lot of things that can, that can help us in some very general ways. But if, if we want true life-changing help, it's found in the gospel. It's found in the, in the life-changing message that Jesus Christ came into this world, God became flesh, and he dwelt among us and he died for us in our place for our sin upon the cross and rose again three days later. This is the gospel message that we need daily. And Paul says, hold fast to that. If you want to make a difference in the world around you, cling to the gospel. Hold fast to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. He's not saying just know your Bible. He's not just saying keep it at a prominent place, put it on your dashboard so people will think you're spiritual or whatever. He says, but hold fast to this message. Don't budge. We all could use some help in different areas, be it finances or our physical health or our time management. But at the end of the day, the true life-giving message, life-changing message comes from Jesus himself. It is Jesus himself. He is the gospel, the good news. We're to hold fast to that. Secondly, though, he tells them to work out their salvation in the midst of an unbelieving world. We already touched on this, but I want to I add this. And, and, and notice, I mean, this is, this is in verse 15. He says, you may be blameless and pure, children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Notice that phrase, among whom. The idea is, is that you're, you're out there, that, that believers are out there. We're not hiding in here. We're not just only surrounding ourselves with like-minded people or with other believers. I remember when I went off to Bible college, and I, I love the atmosphere. Every day, I got to get up and study the Word of God with people who, who loved Jesus and wanted to pursue Him. And then my homework throughout the afternoon and evening was to study the scriptures more. And, and, and day in and day out, I'm like, the, the first few weeks, I'm like, this is just amazing. I'm just around people who love Jesus. All of our conversations were about the word and what God was teaching us and how we were going to use what we were learning in the future. And all of a sudden I realized, though, that, that man, this is 24-7. I, I'm, not, I'm not in any place to be a light. Like, yeah, we're, we're drinking up the scriptures, but... How is a star supposed to shine if there's no darkness? You, you, you can walk outside here today. Now, okay, I know it's Michigan, so we're going to see blue skies about twice between now and April. But if it was a clear sky right now and you walked out there, you, you, you wouldn't see the stars, right? They're there. They didn't go anywhere. They're still there in the sky. They're, they're drowned out right now. The stars shine in the darkness. They're most beautiful in the darkness. They can be seen. And the darker it is, the more beautiful they are. Now you can run with that metaphor and, and, and take it too far. But here's what I think Paul wants them to see is that their, their light, it needs to be on. And it, and it needs to be on in a place where those living in the darkness can see it. Listen, I'm not saying to throw wisdom out the window. I'm not saying pastors like, hey, we need to go to the darkest places in the world, so 
Let's, uh, let's have a small group study at a strip club tonight. All right? Pastor's not saying that, okay? What I am saying, though, is that sometimes as believers, we can, we can get ourselves so far removed from the world that our light's not shining for anybody. There's nobody around to see it because we've made all of our friends believers and we, we spend all of our time around other Christians and, and we're not in the world at all. Paul says, listen, you're in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. That's how he describes it. That word crooked is actually, the, the Greek word is actually scoliosis. We understand that if someone has scoliosis, their, their spine is not straight. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. Paul says, listen, the world that we're living in is not the way it's supposed to be. But we're called to be lights there. It's what Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 14, when he told his followers that you are the light of the world. My brothers and sisters, how's your, shar, your star shining these days? What does it look like? Who's seeing your light? And maybe you're out there, but is, is your light shining or is it a bit dim these days? Or is it a bit covered up? Some of these Christians in Philippi, they're gossiping and they're proud infighting. We're hiding their light from an unbelieving world. It's, it's embarrassing. Have you, have you ever been, have you ever had a non-Christian call you out on something? That's so hard. That's so hard to hear. When you haven't been the kind of light. I still remember one time, I was in high school and, and I... I was a committed believer in, in high school. People knew that I was a Christian. I was involved in some Bible studies and leading some student organizations. And I, I, had, I had tried really hard to be a strong witness. And I, I, there was one kid I was witnessing to, a friend of mine by the name of Dan. And I invited him to a youth event with our church. And I was excited, excited that he came. And uh, as often happens, you know, that was our freshman year. And as often happens, I mean, pe people change. And, and I noticed that he was growing further and further away. Like, I, I wasn't getting any making any head you know, headway in trying to point him to Jesus. In fact, he was, he was going far the opposite direction. When he was, he was uh, beginning to dabble in Satanism and, and was just, his personality and his life just became very, very dark. And um, so I remember one time during our junior year, it was in Algebra 2 class, and I got to admit, I was not a huge fan of the class or the teacher. And um, I, because, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to discourage any, any high school students, but I, I just wasn't seeing a lot of uh, application for going into ministry and all that. So I was having trouble getting motivated, and it was, I struggled with getting the concepts of algebra. So anyways, uh, I didn't feel like uh, our teacher was doing a whole lot to teach it, and so I was, I was kind of frustrated with this teacher. And, and I remember one day she was gone, and we had a sub, and the sub was just like, I'm going to read a book. You guys have work to do. Work on it. Well, None of us were doing the work, and the sub didn't seem to care, and we were talking, and, and a couple people started uh, making fun of this teacher that was gone, and I thought, I'm going to join in on this, and pretty soon, I was throwing out some zingers that uh, were, they were some, some pretty good jabs, I thought. In fact, it was, it was the point where I, I had the attention of the whole classroom, and I was, I was mocking this teacher and, and, and pointing out the teacher's flaws and, and making jokes at the expense of this teacher. And I had everybody laughing. I remember after one particular zinger, everybody's, everybody's laughing. I had everybody's attention, and I was like, I was proud of myself. And I looked across the room, and the only person who wasn't laughing was Dan. 
And Dan was looking at me, and, and he didn't have to say a word. I knew exactly what he was thinking. You call yourself a follower of Christ, and here you are slandering and tearing this teacher to shreds when they're not around. You say you're different, but are you really? And I just remembered feeling so, um, just so much, so much uh, shame and guilt. And I don't tell you that story to, to heap on gamer, shame or guilt for times when you've blown it, but I, I just want us to be conscious and aware of whether we're letting our light shine, what our light looks like when we're out in the darkness. Could people tell a difference by the things we talk about and, and the, the, the conversations that we have or the way that we live or how we use our time and money? Not in a legalistic way, but in, like, am I in love with Jesus? Can people tell that I'm in love with Jesus? Can, can people tell that I'm enamored by this one who has given his life for me? Paul calls us to work out our salvation in the midst of an unbelieving world. And then finally, he calls us to work out our salvation with joyful sacrifice. With joyful sacrifice. Paul realized that this kind of living, and we've been seeing this now since, the, since we started chapter 2 especially, that this kind of lifestyle means putting, putting ourselves second. It means, it means putting others ahead of ourselves like Jesus did, humbly serving others, putting others' needs ahead of our own. And there's sacrifice involved. Paul says in verse 17, he says, um, But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul was in prison, remember? He's writing this from prison, and he recognized that his, his sacrificial service, as he's pouring himself out, was, was being a blessing and a help to the Philippians. But it cost him something. And he says, even if it does, I'm glad. I rejoice because of the blessing and the help that it is to you. As we live humbly and sacrificially, we're, we're going to be we're going to have to swallow our pride. There's going to be times where we have to give up something that we really wanted for the betterment of somebody else. And Paul says, I can rejoice in this because I see the fruit. It's not about begrudgingly or with drudgery saying, oh, fine, I'm making this huge sacrifice on your behalf. It's not that. Paul says, I'm seeing the fruit of this sacrifice. I'm willing to be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, and I'm seeing all kinds of fruit for this, and I rejoice in that. What Scripture repeats over and over again is that the way to joy is through a God and others-centeredness. When Jesus and others come before us, we begin to experience true joy. That's hard to wrap our minds around when our world tells us you need this, and if you buy this and you have this, then you'll be happy. He says, work out your salvation with joyful sacrifice. So my brothers and sisters, as you're working out your salvation, are we doing so without complaining, without arguing, without that spirit of gossip? Are we doing so while we're holding fast and clinging to the gospel message? Are we doing so with a sacrificial spirit? And are we doing it 
so that our lights shine in a world so desperate, desperately in need of light. There's a story told of a little girl who was shivering her way along a main street in a major city and seeing the beautiful lights of a church building and hearing the music pouring out, she went in and warmed herself as she listened. And the pastor's text was, I am the light of the world. At the close of the service, this young lady went to the minister and said, did you say that you're the light of the world, sir? The minister replied, no, 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 dear child, Christ is the light of the world. I'm, I'm one of those lights, but he is the light, the true light. The little lass looked at him for a moment and then solemnly said, well, sir, I sure wish you would come down and hang out in our alley because it's awfully dark down there. My brothers and sisters, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been gripped by the gospel, you have, you have a light to shine. And maybe you've come here this morning and for whatever reason that, that light has grown dim. I'm not here to beat you up about that, but I am going to ask you, what are you going to do about that? Is your light dim because of, of apathy, because of uh, hard-heartedness? Is it dim because uh, of sin that you've not repented of? Then, then may today be that day where you, you bring those before the Lord and receive that forgiveness so that your light can shine again. Or maybe, maybe you've got a light, but you just haven't been in the dark alleys. And God's calling you today through His Spirit to step into some calling He has for you. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a place. Maybe... I don't know what it looks like. Your neighborhood, your neighbor, some conversations to have at work, some ways in which your actions and lifestyle needs to, needs to change. He's calling us to take our light. I'll tell you what, on, on the next beautiful clear night, take a drive out to the countryside and enjoy the stars as they shine. If you're doing it anytime soon, make sure you bundle up. If it's sometime this summer, maybe even lay down on the grass and just look up and, and stand in awe of God's beautiful creation. And then let your mind drift as you gaze upon the beauty of those stars to the fact that you and I are called to be those stars. To call, we're called to shine in the darkness and ask God to remind you in a fresh way what it looks like to, to shine to shine, to hold forth your light as you work out your salvation. Today, we get a chance to be further encouraged in that calling as we celebrate the Lord's table together. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to invite you to celebrate the Lord's table with us. The, the bread representing his body, the Juice representing the blood that he shed for you and for me. This time of remembrance points us to our Savior, to the, to the one whose gospel message we hold forth. He, he's the one that we, the, the, the true light that we represent in the world. And it's because of him that, 
that we have life, that we have hope, that we have freedom. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us about the Lord's Supper, and he says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Through the Lord's table, we remember what Jesus has done. Paul says we also proclaim it. We announce it. Every time that we come to the table, we in a fresh way are saying Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient and we exalt him. But we also receive spiritual nourishment as we come to the table. And I pray that's true for you. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, in just a moment, we want to invite you to the table as our worship team plays. Uh, just uh, quick notes of logistics. Um, we have room so you can form two lines at each table. Uh, this one over here has some gluten-free bread in the center, if, if that's of help to you. And uh, the, the baskets are for our benevolence offering. If you feel led to give uh, to uh, over and above your normal offering, uh, we welcome that. We appreciate that. And that... That offering there goes to help those in our church family who are experiencing some needs that we can come alongside and help them in a financial way. Let me just, let me just take some time and we'll bow our heads together. And we always like to just give a moment of quiet where you can talk to the Lord. If God's working on your heart, um, convicting or stirring in some way, or you just simply want to spend some time telling Jesus thank you for what he's done before we have communion together, I want to invite you to do that. So let's, let's bow for a moment of silence here before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for the reminder of what it means to work out our salvation in this world, to live it out. God, I pray that we would shine like lights in this world that so desperately needs hope, that needs Jesus. And, and, and that, that if, if there's sin, particularly gossip and having a contentious fighting spirit, or whatever. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us so that that may not be a hindrance to others seeing Jesus. We thank you so much for your forgiveness, God. We thank you for your reminder that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins as we bring them before you. And you can do so because Jesus completed the work of salvation upon the cross for us. The perfect, sinless one took our sins so that we can have hope, so that we have a light to hold forth into the darkness. We thank you for the Lord's table that we can remember our Savior's sacrifice 
that we can reenact the gospel message, that we can relive the beautiful story of your love coming to this earth and dying for us and living again so that we can be invited into your life. We thank you for the bread and for the juice and ask that you would bless and encourage and revitalize hearts this morning as it's partaken. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come.
Settle over your living, your thinking, your worship, and your mission. Amen. And bless you, church. I love you. See you next week.